0: Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and OrthoEvidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bhandari from OrthoEvidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. Here it is. It's been a long week, so... Uh...
1: And it's, and it's only Tuesday, Mark. That's the question. It's only Tuesday and it's been a long week. What's left?
0: Exactly right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, we're revisiting another top, uh, a topic we've, we've been after before because you and I decided we needed greater depth. So some weeks ago, we had a ortho Joe conversation about how is data redefining surgery? Uh, And uh, you and I decided that we needed some expert help to further clarify these uh, definitions uh, so that we can educate ourselves and then our audience as to where this whole advanced, uh, quote, AI machine learning movement is going. So, uh, Mo, thanks for bringing on a special guest, and I'll let you introduce Joey.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, Joseph, or Joey Silbert, is a PhD at the University of Toronto, has done quite a bit of work in the area of machine learning neural networks, and uh, he joined us at OrthoEvidence. So after that particular podcast, I uh, uh, chatted with him quite a bit, and he uh, had very, very clear answers to the questions that I was asking. And I thought it might be great to bring him on today, Mark, and uh, maybe get a bit of a I would say, summary of the concepts that are uh, machine learning, AI, deep learning, all these things I think most of our viewers and listeners are uh, confronted with on a pretty regular basis now.
0: Right. And where we've seen an explosion of submissions with those analytic approaches in the titles.
1: Absolutely. So I wonder, wonder, Joey, uh, first of all, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, Let's start off if I could, and I'm sure Mark will jump in with additional follow-ups, but maybe you could start off by giving us just a broad overview of of the verbiage or the nomenclature that is, you know, machine learning, AI, deep learning, and even neural networks. Maybe I'll let you kind of speak a little bit about what all this means, and then we may dig a little deeper.
2: Sure. So you can kind of think of it like a Venn diagram. The big overarching idea or theme is called artificial intelligence. And that is the ability to get a computer to mimic human intelligence and to make decisions by only using data. Uh, Within the big subset of artificial intelligence is a specific field called machine learning, which is usually what we're talking about when we're, we're referring to artificial intelligence. And that is the specific task of trying to solve a problem by using data. And and in particular, what defines machine learning is the ability to learn a problem more effectively or to get more accurate as you input more data. And so the machine is able to learn as it sees more examples of a specific task. Uh, Within that subset, again, is a specific kind of machine learning uh, model or classifier, and that is a neural network. So, that's one version or one type of algorithm that you can use to try to solve a specific problem in the field of machine learning.
1: Okay, so let me just pause for a second. So, the overarching theme, again, is AI. Within AI, it's machine learning. Within machine learning, you have something called a neural network. So, it all kind of filters down. Okay. Exactly.
0: Yeah, so J- Joey, uh, can can you just uh, clarify a, a point that we brought up during the last Ortho Joe uh, meeting we had on this topic? How how is this different than a simple regression analysis?
2: Right. So uh, with a simple regression analysis, you are basically trying to relate some independent variable with the dependent variable, and usually you relate that with you relate that with some coefficient at the end that tells you some meaning to relate the dependent variable to the uh, so the independent variable to the dependent variable. so just to make that concrete let's pretend you want to know the, the price of a house and you know the number of rooms in the house you can use a linear model to say um, the number of rooms times 10,000 is the price of the house and that is easy to understand to relate uh, that dependent and independent variable. So what a, a neural network does is it actually stacks a number of those linear models on top of each other. So uh, if you actually look at a very high level, you, we've, maybe you've all seen the uh, what a neural network looked like It's a series of circles, and you get four or five layers of these concentric circles. And these circles stacked on top of each other. If you look at each individual unit of a neural network, it's actually just a linear model. Yeah, but
1: Joey, like how is that different than like classical regression where you'd say, okay, we'll do a number of linear univariate analyses and then we'll put it into a multivariable model. That strikes me like it's a multivariable model.
2: So it is a multivariable model, but the reason why they're so powerful is that they stack on top of each other. So each individual layer you can think of like a multivariable model. And then these multivariable models are are connected to each other. And with uh, how they get connected, there's also something called an activation function. And what that does is it simply transforms the output of one multivariate model when it's inputting to the second layer. And the reason why that's so interesting is because it adds non-linearity. So while this gets a little bit more technical, ultimately what this means is You can use a neural network to stack a series of multivariate models to essentially generate any possible function. So you could use a neural network to model any, potentially any uh, set of input uh, information to some outcome value. That allows us the capacity, for example, to generate self-driving cars. It would be impossible to, try to interpret visual information and then relate that to let's say how a a car should interact but you could actually process all that information and and develop the set of patterns to relate that uh, input information to the decision at the end with the neural network because so is it more like
1: so is the value in your perception more like a supercharged version of some of the analytics that we used to do, but it does it faster and it does it, uh, you know, much, you know, it does it almost real time where, whereas we would have to, you know, spend a lot more computing power in the past to do the same things. I mean, I guess it's probably partly it's related to the fact that um, it's just an advancement on the, I could say the mathematical models that have been used, but it, but it's not novel new mathematical models. Is that correct?
2: It's not novel new mathematical models. In fact, the origins of machine learning, it goes well back into the the 1990s and even earlier. And the initial name for machine learning was actually called statistical learning. But I would say it is more than just this. It it is actually a a major advancement. So I think to maybe explain the power a little bit better... uh, just to go through an example a very common machine learning algorithm might be to 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 use a set of uh, a deep learning model to try to define a face or identify a face so in the first sort of layer of a five layer uh, neural network the first layer is just going to be the input uh, and then it will just sort of process the information that's available in an image. the second layer is going to sort of merge some of that initial information as a multivariate model and from that derive a certain set of a new derived feature. So the, the first layer might identify a set of lines, something in the face, it might identify the shape of the face. And then what you can do is take those basic features and sort of merge them together. So see how those features relate to each other. And from that, you can then start to develop uh, deeper structures of the face. So maybe the layer after that will combine a, a set of lines and identify that you know this face actually has eyes or this face might have a uh, eyebrows or identify specific structures in that face. And then on top of that, you can then find the interactions or the relationship between those features and build even more complex features. So you could say, actually uh, uh, you notice that these two eyes are connected and that this nose is here. And that actually when we combine all this information together, we can identify that this is the location of the face or, or information like that. So the reason why neural networks are so, Uh, powerful is that you can build interactions on top of interactions on top of interactions. And then it learns the correct way to do that in order to map some very um, raw input, such as a picture to a very specific output, which is let's identify a face in a picture and that sort of capability you can't really do with traditional uh, multivariate models. Got it. So so can I ask one uh, one
1: broader question? You mentioned that the quality of data in is going to impact, uh, you know, the the assessment. And so, you know, what happens like it it happened in the past as well. We've seen it with meta analysis. We've seen it with all these other tools where, you know, they start coming out with a a tool that isn't well understood by the majority of people who are consuming it. So they start believing it's the truth. So can you speak a little bit to the biases that are involved or, or the challenges with interpreting this sort of data? And I presume some of it just goes down to the primary data set you use.
2: Yeah, so this is a great point. I can tell you from my own personal experiences, there's maybe a sentiment that because machine learning is automated, that makes it not biased. But the truth is it's actually quite the opposite. So what machine learning algorithms are really good at is uh, learning patterns in data. So it looks at the pattern in data and it links that to some predefined right answer. Uh, The important thing that I said there is predefined right answer. So how you define the right answer will drastically uh, embed bias within the machine learning algorithm. So uh, let's give a concrete example of this. Let's say you're a company and you're trying to, you're, you're trying to identify what makes a good employee uh, and and what you might decide is that actually a good employee is someone who will quite often uh, get promoted, right? And so what you might do is look at historical data and see what types of employees have been uh, promoted, and you might notice a trend that you know the people who get promoted are people with brown hair or or, or a certain kind of uh, hair uh, eye color or whatever some set of features, right? And then you might erroneously decide that these are the features that are critical for why someone gets promoted. And you will look for those biases at any new employee. But really, all you've done is sort of embed historical bias within future decision making. And that's an important, uh, it's an important concept to understand when applying machine learning, that uh, if you add bias into the data initially, that bias gets embedded. And it's important to correct against that.
0: That's a really important point uh, for our listeners and readers to understand that, that whole uh, possibility of embedding bias uh, into the neural network structure. Thank you for that clarification.
1: Can, can oh i don't know if you had something else mark but i just nope. want to i just want to jump in here also and ask so so i get this idea of bias you know, like we're we are chasing you know trying to find sources of bias in you know in what we would call conventional trials conventional observational studies and our standard analyses the thing that i've always found interesting is that you know we're trying to anytime you have a gold standard like let's say you're trying to validate um, a questionnaire, right, or or some truth, you have to go against what we call the criterion. What's the gold standard by which we are trying to validate a diagnostic test or the ability to d- diagnose something? Usually it's human. So I always find it interesting that they say that, you know, well, you know, the computer algorithm is 100% accurate, but ultimately you've based it against, you know, human judgment in terms of the actual gold standard. So if they say we have a tumor and we can identify with, you know, X percent accuracy, well, it's as accurate as a human, right? I mean, can you get more accurate uh, than human when the gold standard is the human making the assessment?
2: Yeah, so uh, you you can get better than a single human. And the way to think about this is actually, if you got ten experts in a room, they would be more accurate than you know a single expert uh, trying to analyze or make a diagnosis by themselves. Uh, and and really, that's what a machine learning algorithm is doing. It's looking for. Uh, very subtle patterns that may not be uh, perceptible to to human uh, intuition, uh, and um, it's essentially aggregating all, um, everyone's opinion based upon how they labeled the data to try to find the 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 a, a set of patterns that can uh, determine the right answer. So it, it is possible to do better than humans because we are, in essence, combining multiple humans in that determination. But uh, yeah. But I would say the gold standard, and you know, it has to be humans. It has to be uh, at the end of the day when you're feeding a neural network uh, examples, correct examples to learn from, that has to be defined from a human. And if there's error there or if that changes, uh, that drastically impacts how a neural network can perform.
0: Well, that's been a very, very uh, clarifying line of questions. Uh, Mo, did you have others on your list or?
1: Well, I? You know, old, yeah, go ahead. I, the no. only other minor question I had was just the future. But if you wanted to speak to that, too, I'm just curious what's coming down the pipeline in, in this whole area of inquiry.
2: What's coming down the future, as particularly as it pertains to orthopedics, there are a, most of what I see in the literature is mostly focused on how we can use machine learning to help in preoperative planning and also perioperative uh treatment. So what that means is can you look at a set of patient clinical uh, characteristics and determine what treatment options will be the best or determine uh what uh they what will work the best when you're trying to treat this patient. Alternatively during perioperative planning we there's a lot of uh, image guided machine learning processes that try to uh, t- uh Give guidance to the surgeon for where they should make these incisions or where they should approach uh, during the machine during the surgery, or alternatively, if uh, some issue arises, you can uh, recommend a best course of action or things to that effect. Um, beyond this, actually, some of the more interesting and relevant advances in machine learning end up being sounding a little uh, more mundane in practice. And this actually relates to actually, how can we, um, combine patient data that come from all these different sources and how can we combine that into a nice neat sort of uh, uh, interface that that uh, doctors can actually use and and, uh, and read from and, and how can we take a patient chart and learn the information available in that and then encode that within a database that once again doctors can have access to uh, and, and these while they seem you know a little bit more not as elegant as the surgery they're actually very complicated tasks and very very important
1: but, but that's the whole point right it's like it comes back to the data if you cannot like you know you can be surrounded um by uh you know um ocean water salt water you can't drink any of it right you have all this data but you can't use it and that's usually yeah. sort of you know the, the hospital record right so people go on about all this data we have but you can't use it in a meaningful way um which is interesting all Right? thanks so much for that joey yeah
2: yeah
0: Yeah, I I thought a a great way to end this conversation would be for you two to talk about a, a recent OE publication you've done using a neural network and just as an example for our audience
1: sure so um joy do you want to speak a little bit about some of the work that we've been doing um you can you can speak to any of the stuff that you've been doing uh around developing some of these algorithms maybe around even some of the work uh with developing sort of you know the magic quadrant work we've been doing um but anyways i'll leave i'll leave it to you
2: yeah, so uh, much of my work at uh, OrthoEvidence is kind of divided in two areas. So most of what I'm doing right now is focused on something called natural language processing. And that's how can we convert uh, text into numbers and how can we learn information from text? So uh, what I've been doing is trying to uh, uh, essentially teach my computer to read orthopedic uh, uh, papers to try to identify what's in the paper that makes it uh, interesting to read and see if I can use some of that information to automatically read the paper and identify that this might be some content that would be interesting for our users to read. Uh, On the other uh, token, what some of the other stuff that I've been working is trying to uh, classify uh, impactful work. So I'm trying to develop some algorithms to um, based on what companies have been publishing and based upon uh, some other factors try to essentially uh, com- uh, cluster them or rank them in terms of, of of their overall interest and their overall impact by the uh, by the field and and by basically how we are using it. And I'm trying to present that information in a way that is easy to understand and interpret. Yeah, there's lots
1: of, there's lots of stuff going on here. I mean, one area that has been particularly interesting to me has been the area of, you know, and if, if you look at many of our listeners, um, you know, we often get historically put into categories as well. You know, you're an expert or you're a key opinion leader on a particular topic. And when surveys are done of orthopedic surgeons in our community, they're just grouped together as though orthopedic surgeons are this monolith that all function and behave the same way. And we think it's quite different. When you have a diverse group of people listening, um, you just have different phenotypes. And so we've been trying to explore you know, um, behavior patterns more so than just titles um, and descriptors like that. So trying to understand as the gaming world does much better than all of us, um, you know, what are what types of quote gamers are there, you know, in the, you know, on on the site? You know, are there those that are more explorative? They're just exploring way new ways to do something. Are there the experts who learn from the explorers? Or are there the enthusiasts who are like myself who maybe, you know, pop into a game, do fairly horribly, but I don't have any particular, you know, I'm I'm not watching it and I'm not doing it at, you know, three in the morning, uh, you know, kind of thing. So it's it's just, there's just different phenotypes. And we're trying to understand, it's really complex, but I think it gets closer um, uh, to trying to find ways to get people the information they want rather than just say, well, you're an orthopedic surgeon, you're a physiotherapist, you know, you're a sports med doc. Therefore we'll just give you all the sports med mm-hmm. literature. But that's not really how a lot of people behave.
0: <laughs> That's very important work, we we surely want to get uh, people what they would like to receive from our respective publications and, as you mentioned earlier in the conversation, data is is what it's all about and we at OrthoJoe would like to have some data, we'd like to have some feedback so it's uh, orthojoe at jbgs.org if you have comments or critiques or you have a topic that you'd like us to explore please, uh, please send us an email. Uh, and Mo, Joey, uh, thanks for a very, very uh, uh, clarifying uh, episode, if you will, uh, on this topic. I think I understand it better, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure that our listeners and viewers will under- understand it better as well. So, let's finish the coffee, and uh, Joey, Cheers. your mug will be in the mail. So, yeah. thanks very much for participating. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Take care. Have a good day. Thank you. Take care.